Welcome to the Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Become an authority, build a community, and sell with respect. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to the February 2012 episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show. Can you believe it's February already? Just last month, I was setting my goals for the year, and now I'm already flat out working at achieving them. I hope the year started off well for you. I know there's quite a bit of doom and gloom about in some quarters, but I'm getting quite the opposite feeling from my clients and from my networks. So this month, we'll be talking about trends, some ways that the internet is changing your world for you as a business owner. So we'll start with an interview with business marketing guru, Winston Marsh, where he interviews me about some of the internet trends for 2012. We'll also talk about some of the trends that will help you improve your work style. And I'll also share with you a big, big secret about how to turn your training and coaching programs into electronic form. So let's start with the interview with Winston. Winston Marsh is one of Australia's leading business marketing experts. For decades, he's been helping Australian small businesses grow through better marketing. He's also the first person that I knew who offered a monthly subscription program. He used to do it with an audio newsletter. Many years ago, when I published my first book, he interviewed me for that program. And that was in the days of cassette tapes, not CDs or MP3 downloads. He's come a long way since then, and he's still running this program very successfully. And he recently interviewed me again. This time about a blog post that I wrote recently, sharing my list of 10 trends for 2012. Gihan Pereira, internet coach extraordinaire. Welcome back to Business Marketing. Yeah, thank you, Winston. It's been a number of years now, maybe more than a decade. Yes, it has, and I sit and watch gobsmacked at what you're doing and how you're helping people all around the world maximise the value of the internet and all its applications. Now, Gihan, I was very impressed by your most recent uh, blog, the newsletter, and uh, I thought it was worthwhile talking to my listeners about having you chat and also getting them to subscribe. But you talked about the seven trends you must pay attention to and three you can ignore this year. So rather than get and read about it, I thought I'd come to the fount of all knowledge and ask you, what are those trends, Gihan? Okay, so should we go through them, Winston? Well, let's start with the, let's start with the seven that you must pay attention to. Uh, and this was actually like it's, it's quite interesting because it's a little bit controversial when I said there are three that you must avoid or three that you can ignore. So we'll see by the end of the year how accurate that is. But I really do think that for modern businesses, um, the the important thing is to position yourself as an authority first. So these seven trends are all about positioning yourself as an authority so that you can be. Um, I love this quotation from Steve Martin where he is asked the secret of your success. And he said, be so good, they can't ignore you. And uh, and I love that because I think that's what businesses have to do now. So be so good that you can't be ignored. And so some of the things I'm talking about are, are ways that you can show off. Show off not in an arrogant way, but show how good you are. So let's start with the number one. And this is one that uh, is pretty common now, which is e-books. And e-books have been around for a while. I know that you've been doing them for a long time, Winston. Uh, and, and so have I. But now they've become mainstream. And it's because of Amazon's Kindle and people using iPads and even reading ebooks and iPhones and they really have become mainstream and in fact my, my seven year old niece got a Kindle for Christmas because she reads a lot and she's reading them on ebooks and I, I think that there's a real opportunity here for us uh, us as business owners to write ebooks and even somebody who's never thought about writing a book you can write a short special report publish it to Amazon and there you've got an ebook that people can buy for even for a couple of dollars but it's not about the money it's about uh, having the credibility to say you've got a special report and you've got something published on Amazon. 
So if I was a plumber, for example, I'm in a small business, how would I use it? Oh, look, absolutely. And I think this is the distinction that lots of people who are choosing plumbers are still going to well, the, the online equivalent of Yellow Pages and choosing between plumbers by just searching for plumbers. But if you're a plumber, you could write an ebook about, for example, how to look after your plumbing to make sure that you don't need to call a plumber or how to look after things in winter or how to make sure that your, that your pipes don't crack. Uh, and you write that as a report and you publish that online. So it doesn't even have to be something like seven tips for choosing a plumber, although you could do that, but it's about demonstrating some of your expertise and that, that customers can use. So when they want to choose a plumber, you're front of mind for them. Now, how do I get that to Amazon if I'm that plumber? Yeah, there are, there are services that will do that for you. So uh, there's a service called eBookit, which I love. For $150, they'll take care of all the work of taking your Word document. So if you can use Microsoft Word, you can publish an eBook. So you take your Word document, submit it to them, and uh, they will take care of publishing it, publishing it to Amazon, the iTunes Store, all these places. Uh, Amazon also has a way for you to publish it yourself. So you can go to their website and follow the step-by-step processes. Uh, if you're only going to do one or two, I reckon it's worth paying the hundred. 50 bucks to ebook it and they'll take care of it for you. If you're planning to do it a lot, then you might as well learn to do it yourself. Wow. So number two, you reckon, is Google Plus. Yes, Google Plus is Google's new social network and when it came out, it's only been around for about six months and, and people were thinking of it as, well, is this going to replace Facebook? And when they found that it wasn't growing as fast as they expected, they said, well, it's a bit of a failure, it's a bit of a flop because it's nowhere, it's not ever going to take over Facebook. But I think they're missing the point, Winston. I think the real value of Google Plus is that it's owned by Google and Google is already starting to uh, take account of what you do in Google Plus to improve or to, to affect what happens in your search engine ranking. So if you're a plumber with a website, uh, what you do on Google Plus will affect how well your website appears when somebody searches for plumbers in Google. So this is normal Google. And uh, so this is why Google's got a bit of an unfair advantage with Google Plus. It almost doesn't matter how good Google Plus is. You need to be on there because it's going to affect your website ranking. All right, I'm going to get on to Google+. Plus. What about your third? The third one is video, and YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine. It's owned by Google, so you could say it's part of the world's biggest anyway. Uh, and for a long time, video has been about uh, cats and silly, silly stuff. But now video is becoming a really uh, a professional tool, and, and YouTube has become the place where you can post videos um, on on your business stuff. So whenever I want to learn how to do something, Winston, like if I want to learn um, how to uh, how to burn a CD or how to uh, how to do anything with my that that can be demonstrated visually, how to do this on my phone uh, or how to connect a phone to a computer, then what I'll do is I'll go to YouTube and search for how to. So if you are the sort of business that can create a how to video, YouTube's a great place for you to be. Uh, and it doesn't have to be you, you sitting there and uh, doing this professional stuff with a studio and a green screen and getting all the right lighting. All people are looking for is information. And obviously you can't do it in the dark with terrible audio, but it's okay to create an informal video of you presenting something and teaching something. And I would recommend if you're going to get started with YouTube, start by uh, teaching stuff rather than trying to do a big promotional video. And you know, like last year, YouTube claimed that they, they had one trillion plays of videos. And what that means is that there's more than a hundred views for every person on the planet with YouTube. So get on YouTube. 
if you're not already there, uh, it's easy to do. And uh, and the, the thing is now, Winston, everybody is walking around with a video camera in their pocket. If you've got an iPhone or an Android phone, you've got a video camera in your pocket. And all you need to do is pull it out, take a two or three minute video and post it to YouTube. It's as simple as that. And I know that uh, I think you would remember the days, Winston, when speakers were used to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on creating professional demo videos and send them out. And uh, then they became demo DVDs. And again, you, but you still spend the thousands of dollars on production. You don't need to do that anymore. And in fact, if you do, some people will look at that as that's a bit too posh and slick and that's not really genuine. I think you should take your camera uh, or use a webcam on your PC or Mac and, and just record videos and publish them to YouTube. And I imagine, Gihan, if we searched you at YouTube, you'd have lots of videos there. Yeah, in fact, what I, this is one thing that I've been, I've been avoiding YouTube, Winston. I think maybe I've got a face for radio. Um, but I think that uh, it's become so important that you, that you need to do it. So I set up a, a YouTube channel, so it's gihanperera.tv, and some of it's me presenting face to face, and so you just, you see me presenting. Uh, but some of it is the, the webinars that I run. If they're public webinars, I publish the webinar recordings to YouTube. So I get double value from them. I run a webinar, so the people who attend live get the value from that. But once the recording's available, I make it available on YouTube as well. So if you go to my, my YouTube channel, which is gihanperera.tv, you'll see a whole bunch of webinar recordings which people watch. And at the end of the webinar, I promote my business. Um, I don't make it a big, uh, I don't make it a big sales pitch, I just promote the business and again I want people to see how good I am and then they'll then they'll do business with me So that's a great segue to your fourth trend, isn't it? Yes, webinars, webinars are big Winston, they've been around for a while now, over a decade, but for a while, they've been difficult to use. Uh, they've been difficult for presenters, but also they've been difficult for people to connect to webinars. So I remember about five or six years ago when I first started getting into it, I decided not to do webinars. I decided to do teleseminars because teleseminars are easy. It's just like doing a phone conference call. But now webinar technology has improved to the, to the level where most people don't have trouble connecting to their webinars, uh, and it's easy to present, and you can do it from the from the comfort of your home or your home office. Uh, you sit there, people don't see your face. Uh, I don't like the webinars where you can see the video of the presenter. I prefer that the presenter creates some really good PowerPoint slides. Uh, you hear the presenter talking, and that's it. So the, all the audience is sitting in their offices, uh, in the comfort of their offices. They don't have to travel. They don't have to pay accommodation and flight costs. But you can reach the world literally uh, through the power of webinars. And I really think it's something that's worth starting. It's uh, I do know that uh, you and I probably know presenters we know that are using webinars, and some of them are using them well, some of them aren't using them so well. But I think it's something that any business owner should get into. Even if you're not a presenter, webinars give you a great opportunity to, again, connect with your audience and engage with them in a way that uh, it's, it's much more personal than writing a newsletter or creating a, or, or publishing blog posts or even doing video. Because once you do a video, it's static. But with a webinar, it's live. People are engaging with you in real time. And the technology is good enough now that the slides are in sync with the voice and they've overcome all of those problems. 
They have, they, they have. And when I started doing webinars, there were only a few webinar providers around. And, uh, so there, there wasn't much to choose from. And I chose one called GoToWebinar, which seemed really good for, to begin with, but also allowed you to expand. And so GoToWebinar does allow you to expand to up to a thousand users. I think I'm on a plan that allows up to a thousand attendees. And at the time, yes, some of the providers weren't so good. So you used to have problems with audio dropping out or the slides not syncing properly. But nowadays, there are, there are lots to choose from, and most of them are pretty good. And it's not so much the webinar technology. It's just that I think more and more people have got broadband internet, and uh, so so it's faster. So the internet's fast enough that, that webinars really work. Okay, I better have webinars on the list. Number five, Leanne. So number five is e-learning. This is not for everybody, but this is for people who already are teaching in some way. So if you're already doing something like if you're a professional speaker or a trainer or a facilitator or a coach, then you you should be looking into uh, e-learning. And e-learning is simply teaching your, uh, delivering your material over the internet. So you'll find that there are people now, organizations and individuals, they're looking for education in a number of different ways. So the the idea now that you'd get everyone in your organization to to stop what they're doing and go to a training room, either in your building or somewhere else, and listen to somebody for a day or half a day or three days for a training workshop. And that still happens, but organizations and individuals, they just want, they just want a better return on investment of their time. So more and more, people are doing learning from their desk because they're doing things like um, – online courses with which they receive by email or they might get videos which they download to their phone and they watch it later. So all of the sort of material that you're delivering online can be delivered sorry, that you're delivering face to face can be delivered online as well. Now I'm not suggesting that you stop everything that you're doing. So I'm not suggesting that you stop your training and convert your face-to-face workshops and convert them to online training. That's difficult to do. Uh, and in fact, I think people try to do it, but they, they don't do it very well because people don't, uh, your clients don't want to buy that. Uh, they, they're comfortable with the idea that you're going to do some face-to-face training, but maybe what you do is you'd have an e-learning component as well. So for example, here's something that you might do. So, Let's say you're running a marketing workshop, Winston, and I assume that you would do this. Uh, do you still do this? Uh, do you do this publicly or in-house or both at the moment? These would be both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you you might run, say, let's say you're doing a public marketing workshop, which which small business owners attend. So you're running it over a day. What you might do is you might say two weeks before that you'll run a webinar. And this will be a webinar for everyone who's registered for the workshop. They attend and you give them some some homework to do, if you like. So you might get them to think about their USP or their unique buying advantage. You might get them to think about their market and their niche. And so they've got a little bit of homework. So when they turn up at the one-day workshop, they've, they've put a little bit of thought into it. And so you can dive straight into some of the details without having to do all the background stuff and the foundations. They attend the workshop. At the end of the workshop, you can say to them, Okay, you've done a one-day workshop, um, but the chances are you're going to forget everything that we've covered within the next week. So what I've done for you is over the next three months, every two weeks, you'll get an email covering each one of the six to nine points that we covered in the workshop. So then what they get is they get more than the one-day workshop. They've actually got a three-month marketing program. So you've expanded what was previously just a one-day face-to-face workshop by adding e-learning components to it. And I know presenters who are doing this very effectively, and, and their market loves it. They, they see it as a way to get added value, so rather than just turning up for the workshop, they get some stuff beforehand, they get some follow-up and support afterwards. And 
you know, this was something that uh, I remember 10, 12 years ago when uh, some of my clients first started doing this. It was really groundbreaking. But now it really is becoming the norm and people are expecting that. And if you don't have that, then they're wondering why. And what I love about it too is because people learn at different speeds, uh, they can go back and review what they've learned, you know, so that they really get it into their brains and it really has an impact on them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's gone... People are now expecting when they go to a workshop that they're actually going to learn. And especially if you're doing work with clients who are going to take their people out of the office for, for some time, the biggest cost is not the cost of the workshop. It's the lost productivity. So they're expecting something real to come out of it. So as you say, they, they, they expect to have that support afterwards so they can go back and review it. And they expect to get real tangible value from the, from the trainings, from the training as well. All right, moving right along, one of my favourite toys, no, one of my favourite pieces of business equipment now is my iPad, and I suspect you would think that this has got to be one of the trends. Yeah, look, I'm just curious, Winston, can I just uh, ask you a question? So what are you using your iPad for at the moment? I'm using my iPad. I take it with me um, whenever I go away, and I use it for email and searching the web and uh, updating my appointments and contacts and things like that. I understand that I could use it and put my PowerPoint presentations on it, but I'm not that far advanced. But I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, but anxious to know what else I can, should and could be doing. Well, I think you're using it for exactly what most business unit, owners should use it for, which is productivity first. So the first thing, if you've got an iPad or um, the Samsung Galaxy Android tablet, which is one, of, which is probably the best one of the Android tablets around, or any tablet like that, use that for productivity. So it means that you can save things for reading later, and then you can read them at your leisure rather than interrupting your business day. You can check email when you're away from the office. Uh, you can do those sort of productivity things that you're doing, Winston, and that's exactly what you should be doing first. So the first thing is to use those, ta- use the tablet for that. And I think it's we're going to get to the stage where the iPad and uh, and tablets are going to replace laptops. We haven't quite got to that stage yet, but I think it's coming. And it wouldn't surprise me if within the next year, certainly within the next 18 months, there'll be more and more people who just say, I don't need to use my laptop. I don't need to take my laptop with me. I'll just take my iPad. I know a few clients of mine who are doing that already, and I think that's only going to, that's only going to increase as we get better wireless internet connections when you're away from the office and as we get better functionality in those tablets. So I, I think if whatever business you're in, even if you think, well, I'm not in technology so I don't need to put my PowerPoint slides on there because I won't be doing presentations, that doesn't matter. Whatever business you're in, think of your iPad or your Android tablet as a productivity tool and, and just work with it and uh, you might find, you might be amazed at just how much you can how much you can get done and how much more productive you can be once you've got that. And if you're a presenter, uh, I don't know whether you've found this, Winston, but I've certainly made uh, delivered presentations where half the audience is sitting there working on their phones and iPads and it's not that they're necessarily checking email because they're bored with me they're taking notes and they're they're looking up things and they're doing searching on Google while you're sitting there uh, while you're presenting so your audiences are much more engaged now and they expect much more from you so if you don't have one of these tablets and you're a presenter I think you need to get one because then you'll find out what your audiences are doing as well and Gihan is it alright to make my wife happy and put uh a whole lot of the family photographs on the iPad so that when we travel she can show friends in the 
<laughs> That's one of the nice things about it. These tablets have so much space now. I mean, there is a limit, but there's so much space now that even on mine, I will take some of the DVDs that I've got and I'll copy them to the to my tablet so that when I'm traveling, I can watch movies on the tablet. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those wonderful tool, uh, things about a tool like the iPad uh, or any tablet is that you can use it both for personal and professional use. Okay, and trend number seven. Trend number seven is about your website. And, and trend number seven is just saying, just be, get serious about your website. If you don't have a website already, have one. Um, and it's a little bit, it's, it's interesting because it's, uh, the, all the hype at the moment is about social media, iPhones, tablets, uh, apps. But when people want to do business with you, they will eventually come back to your website first if they never heard about you. So your website should be the place uh, that you think about promoting your products and services. Uh, and I, I've been in this business 15 years, Winston, and I remember at the start, when I was first, uh, when I first started my business, all there was on the internet was pretty much websites. There was no Google or Facebook. Sorry, there's Google, but there's no Google Plus. There's no Facebook or Twitter or blogs or podcasts or YouTube. None of that was around. So all this sort of stuff you had to do on your website. If you create a video, you'd stick it on your website. Uh, if you wrote an article, instead of publishing it to a blog, you'd publish it on your website. Nowadays, I think you don't need to do all that on your website. What you can do is your website can be like a brochure. Uh, so it needs to be it needs to be simple. It needs to promote what you do, tell people uh, why they should choose you. It needs to load fast because more and more people are accessing it on phones and tablets now, and that means that they they don't necessarily have the fastest internet access around. But the main thing it does is it positions you as an authority, promotes what you do, and makes it easy for people to get in touch with you. It may not be the first thing that people come across you. They might find your blog first, or they might you know hear an interview with Winston Marsh, and then that's the first time they find out about you, but they will then go to your website to find out uh, before they do business with you. So your website is more important than ever. It hasn't become less important because of these other things. And in a recent edition of this program, uh, Gihan, I I indicated people need to have a look at their website and see how it comes up on a mobile phone or on a tablet because uh, people have different reasons and different ways of accessing your website. And we need to make sure it works in all of those situations. Yes, that's right. And the other thing about that, Winston, and you're exactly right, that more and more people are accessing your website um, from a phone or tablet. And I've always said to website owners... Put yourself in your site visitor's shoes and think about what they'll be doing. So think also about when somebody's accessing your website from a mobile phone or the tablet, not only does the website come up, but think about what is it that they're looking for. So, for example, if you have, if you run a restaurant and you've got a restaurant website, one of the things that frustrates me about most restaurant websites is that they don't publish a phone number and they don't publish their opening hours in a very clear and obvious place. And some people don't publish it at all. But if you think about somebody who's accessing a restaurant website from their phone, they're probably driving around somewhere thinking about where they might go or they're on holidays and they're thinking about a restaurant. So instead of having beautiful pictures of, of your of the dishes or of your building on your homepage, have a phone number so people can call you and have your opening hours. And then maybe you can have things like menu and, uh, and a bit about your chef and so on. But think about where people are accessing it from now. Uh, so don't just get the technology right, but make sure you give people what they want at the time that they're accessing it. And very importantly for that restaurant, where to find you, how to get... Yes, exactly. 
Now, that's the seven trends we can't afford to ignore. What about the three that we can ignore? <laughs> okay, so this week is a little bit, this week is a little bit controversial, Winston. So these three things, uh, some businesses, for some businesses, this will be something that you should be doing. And for others, uh, they're things that you shouldn't or, or that you that don't need to do. And again, I'll come back to what I said at the start. If you position yourself as an authority and you, as in the words of Steve Martin, be so good they can't ignore you, if you really do position yourself that way, then you don't need to do these things. So the first one is online advertising. And there's nothing wrong with doing online advertising itself and uh, and it works for some businesses, but if you position yourself as an authority, you don't need to advertise. So you don't need to spend time and money on online advertising. And that's things like buying ads in Google, um, buying ads on Facebook, buying ads on LinkedIn, um, paying to be in somebody's, somebody else's newsletter by having a link back to your website, uh, and even things like search engine optimization. So trying to get to the top of the free listings in Google, um, you can do that and you can spend a lot of money doing that. But if you position yourself as an authority and you're seen as an authority on the internet, then Google, or Google will automatically raise your profile in its search engine listings. So focus instead on what you need to do to be positioned as an authority and, uh, particularly to the people who, who are in your market. And the more of that you, that you do, the the more marketing kudos you'll get and you don't need to spend money in online advertising. And the key point you're making is that any business can focus on being an authority for the area in which they operate and for the sort of customers they work for. Yeah, exactly. I remember reading a book by Seth Godin. He wrote a book called The Dip. And in it he says, he, he offers this challenge. He said, be the best in the world or quit. Uh, so that sounds that sounds pretty dramatic, but I think the key is you get to decide what best means and you get to decide what world means. So you just need to be the best in your world uh, and whatever best is defined as as far as you define it and your customers define it, and then just position yourself as the person that as a go-to guy or go-to gal in your industry, and then you don't need to worry about advertising. Well, on what you've said, Gihan, does that mean we can ignore the second one that you feel we can ignore, social media marketing? Yes, and I, I, so I really want to make the point that the key word here in, in social media marketing is marketing. Social media is about being social. It's about connecting with people. Um, I remember, Winston, when I first started using the Internet, this was, this was when I was studying at university, so this was 1987, so this kind of dates me a little bit. But at that time, there was no World Wide Web, so there were no websites. There was still email. There were still discussion groups. There were still chat rooms. So some of the stuff that we call social media today that was still around. I mean, we didn't call it social media at the time, but the internet was a place where you connected with people and you use it for networking, helping each other and building relationships. And now, like 25 years later, we've come back to that, but some people still want to rush in and think, okay, well, how can I get, how can I get on Twitter and then blast out my latest offer to all my Twitter followers? Well, that's not the way that it works. So Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Google Plus are a place for you to build connections. And if you, if you're thinking of a rule of thumb, the way I like to think of it, Winston, is say, get your, get business through your network, not from your network. In other words, build up strong relationships with the people who are following you on Twitter or who are friends on, or fans on Facebook or who are in your Google Plus circles. Build up relations with them and they'll refer business to you or they'll refer you to other people. So don't try to go out there trying to promote stuff. You can do that and you can do that occasionally, but that's not the main point. The main point is to broaden your network, uh, use it as a way of connecting with peers and strengthen the connections that you've already got. 
it's kind of a, a repeat of what Zig Ziglar used to say, help enough people get what they want and you'll get what you want. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And I think if you want to get into social media, uh, and you want to get started in it, and you're not sure how to get started, don't worry about all the technology. I offer this piece of advice to clients, Winston. I say, um, do something nice for somebody every day. So it may be wow. commenting on a photo in, in Facebook. It may be sent, taking a tweet that somebody's posted in and retweeting it to your network. It may be making a comment in Google+. Plus. It may be writing a recommendation for somebody on LinkedIn. But if you do just that, if you do something nice for somebody every day on social media, you'll be way ahead of 95, maybe 99% of the people, of business owners, who are trying to make social media work for them. Wow. Okay, Jehan, what's the final trend you think we can ignore? Okay, so the last one is something that's really popular at the moment, but I think that most business owners should ignore it, and that is iPhone or Android apps. So a lot of people are talking about, yes, you, you need to have a mobile app. You need to have an iPhone app. I need an iPhone app for my business. So I need people to be able to, I need to be on the home page of, of people's iPhones. Well, you know, like that can work for some people, but it's, uh, it's like trying, the, trying to win the lottery unless you're really, really serious about it. So there are people who make lots of money from iPhone apps. In fact, I saw in the Sydney Morning Herald article recently, Winston, some 16-year-old guy who's now just been paid a quarter of a million dollars for some great idea that he's got. But that's rare. For most businesses, we should do what you said earlier. What you should do is have a really good website and make sure it loads well when you're, when people are accessing it from a mobile phone. So you're much better off doing that than trying to invest money in an app that, that's going to make you a gazillion dollars or is going to have a gazillion downloads so that it really spreads your, spreads your name far and wide. Now, there are some exceptions. There are some businesses which make sense for you to have an iPhone app. But I've found that in most cases, the, the business owner who wants to create an iPhone app, first of all, there isn't really good, there is, isn't really a good app that they could create to, to be popular. And even if they put the work into creating it, people don't download it enough and they don't put enough work into, and the business doesn't put enough work into marketing it so that more people get it. It's like trying to create a viral video. So uh, I occasionally get people coming to me and say, how can I create a video on YouTube that goes viral? And you just can't. It's just like saying, it's like going to a recording company and saying, how do I write, how do I write some, uh, how do I write a song that's going to go to number one? It's not as easy as that. What you do is you put all the work in, in other areas and it's, it's very lucky if you get to number one. And it's the same with, if you, if you're going to create an app and hope it goes to number one or hope you make a lot of money from it or get a lot of downloads, I think it's like hoping that you're going to write a number one hit. It happens, but not to many people. So, Gingham, it's really a case of sticking to your knitting. Do what you do and do it well. Don't try and become an app developer. Yeah, and look, I know, know we've talked about a lot of things, but I think there, there are three basic things that you, that you need to have online, Winston. Website, blog, and newsletter. Get those three things working first and then build on all these other things. And the other things are kind of optional extras. But if you get a website, a blog, and a newsletter, you'll be, you'll be doing the core of what you need to be doing to have an online presence. Gihan, you thank you. You've explained a heck of a lot of things in this interview. Now, you provide help to people in business. What sort of help is that? Uh, look, I do. I do. I work with business professionals and uh, particularly the people who are already thinking about positioning th- themselves as an authority. So I can help you with some of these things. And uh, I have a couple of things, Winston. I have a, a membership site called the eGurus Community where people pay. You pay $50 a month and you get access to me. So that's through phone and Skype, but 
for consulting. You get access to the webinars that I run and you get access to a number of resources like ebooks and video tutorials that I've created. And the other thing that I've done recently is I've written a book, Fast, Flat and Free, How the Internet's Changed Your Business. And if you go to fastflatandfree.com, a number of the things that we've talked about, uh, I, I discuss in the book and I show you really how to set up your internet marketing strategy, whatever business you're in. DM Herrera for Business Marketing. Thank you. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works, but most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. That's fastflatandfree.com. Most of the trends in that interview were about marketing your business. Now let's turn our attention inwards and talk about some trends that affect the way that you work in your business. So this is looking at your work style. My friend Chris Pudney and I recently had a conversation about that, how the internet's making it easier to live in out-of-office work style, which coincidentally, out-of-office happens to be the title of the book that we publish. So you don't have to be chained to an office desk all day. And in that conversation, Chris and I talked about eight trends for 2012. We published that as an episode of our regular out-of-office podcast. Now, if you want to listen to the whole interview, you can go to the blog at outofofficebook.com. But I've got an edited version of that conversation for you here, where we do talk about each of those eight trends. I hope you enjoy it. We've each got four predictions, and we'll take them in turn. So the, the first prediction is that the growth of mobile workforce will facilitate an increase in telecommuting. So workforces are becoming uh, more mobile and one of the reasons for that is that we've got these more powerful mobile computing devices so smartphones and tablets and what have you uh, but in addition to that one of the other factors that's uh, supported that is that cloud computing has become more important so often cloud computing has been touted as a way of reducing the cost of owning software for businesses. But in fact, a recent survey conducted last year by a technology company called CSC found that the main driver for businesses adopting uh, cloud computing was in, fa- was in fact to support a mobile workforce. So uh, they also found that, uh, that they were doing it for re- reduction in um, costs as well, but the main driver was, in fact, uh, to support their mobile workforce. Now, cloud computing and mobile devices are also uh, the main technologies that support an out-of-office work style. So we're going to find that as more companies uh, trying to support uh, a mobile workforce, they're also going to be lowering the barriers to entry when it comes to telecommuting as well. The second one, which is my first prediction, is uh, is that we're going to have more Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, so when you're out and about, you'll have more opportunities to connect to to wireless networks. And this is something which is not necessarily the, the for the telecommuters, who generally tend to work from home, but for the people who are a bit more digital nomads who will want to have access when they're out and about. So you may be a business traveler, you may be uh, working from an internet cafe, you may be working anywhere, and you'd like to have wireless internet access. And there are there a number of places where this is happening. So uh, in the air is one place, and we talked about, I think in the book we mentioned that cloud computing, one of the places where you can't access the cloud is when you're actually in the clouds because airlines don't allow you to uh, connect to the internet. But more and more that's happening. So Emirates Airlines is already doing that, and Qantas uh, announced plans a few months ago to trial it. So we may see uh, internet access on flights um, you know, in, in within Australia. It's happening in other parts of the world, but we may see it happening in Australia. 
even on the ground, uh, there are more and more people who, who want to do that. So Brisbane City Council in some of their parks is offering free Wi-Fi. And the Perth Lord Mayor, Lisa Scafidi, who was recently re-elected, one of her big re-election promises and made front page headlines here in Perth was that she wants the Perth CBD to have free Wi-Fi so that you'd be anywhere you are in the, in the central business district, you'll be able to uh, get free Wi-Fi access. And uh, uh, so she's got, I think, four years in which to do that. So I'm not expecting anything soon, certainly not, uh, certainly not this year. And I guess one of the things that we should point out is if you're, if you're using any of these free Wi-Fi services, if they're not secure, then you're taking your life in your hands. So you do, it's a, it, there's a security risk because other people on that same free Wi-Fi network could be eavesdropping on what you're doing. Uh, and it's actually very easy for them to do that. It doesn't require a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, technical skill to do that. So, uh, Either use a secure Wi-Fi network or you can use your phone as a mobile hotspot and, and make sure that you set a password on that so that becomes secure as well. Indeed. Once you've got all these free Wi-Fi hotspots, you actually need a device to make best use of them. And so we've got a, a little batch of predictions here for 2012 with regard to mobile devices. And the first of those is, is with regard to ebook readers, and that is that the price of them is going to drop significantly down to below $100. So I, when I saw you make this, uh, this prediction, Gihan, I went and had a look on Amazon at what the price of their Kindle was. And at the moment, it's come down. It's down to, it was 126 at the start of the summer holidays, and that's now 122, including shipping from the US. So I think that, that trend indicates that uh, your prediction might come true by the end of the year, Gihan. And there, and there are other less, um, probably less powerful models that you can get for under $100 uh, from, you know, your, your big box uh, retailers. Um, but uh, it's not things like the Kindle just yet. The other prediction with regard to mobile devices for 2012 that we have for you is that uh, high-quality Android tablets are going to drop below the $300 Aussie dollar mark. So what we've got coming up this year are that another generation of tablets running Android is going to come out using a new chipset, so they're going to be more powerful and have brighter screens and higher resolution as well. So that's going to mean that they're probably going to enter the market at around $400. I was in Harvey Norman over the Christmas break, and I asked when he predicted they'd arrive. He said probably around about February, and I asked what price, and he suggested that around about the $400 mark. So that means that they're probably going to run out to their existing stock of current generation stuff well down from that price, so maybe around $300 then. And then, of course, the, the price will generally trend downwards as the year progresses. With you and I, Chris, are Android users, uh, so we, because we've both got Android phones, it makes sense for us to get Android tablets, but of course there's a whole bunch of people who've got iPhones and iPads, and there are a lot of rumours about Apple's iPad 3 coming out, which is unlikely to be uh, down the 400 or $300 mark. However, there are some of the rumours are that that'll come out at full price, six dollars $700, but they will then start selling the iPad 2 for around about the two to $300 mark, which will make it compete with uh, something like the Kindle Fire. Now, we may not see that in Australia for a while, but uh, we'll certainly see a drop in the price of the current generation of iPad as well. So I think even the, even the Apple users are going to have access to cheap tablets. Excellent. Great. Well, the last uh, mobile device trend for 2012 that we've got is with regard to smartphones, and that is that they're going to dominate feature phones. So feature phones are referred to phones that are uh, the old-fashioned flip phones that don't have touch screens and all the and Wi-Fi uh, capability that, uh, that we've come to expect of smartphones. And that's important because uh, they're still the dominant 
phone in the marketplace. The majority of people still have feature phones. They don't have smartphones yet. And that's important uh, for two reasons. Uh, throughout the world, mobile phone usage is is huge. And in the developing world, uh, as people move to feature phones, move from feature phones to smartphones, it means that they'll have access to the internet for the first time. They might not have a PC or a tablet, which they can't afford necessarily, but a smartphone will be uh, access for them to uh, to the internet. Uh, and as far as uh, out of office is concerned, well, if you're working out of office, if you have a, a smartphone, then you can access the cloud, and that means that you can you can uh, live the life of a digital nomad, or you can be a semi-commuter. For instance, over the uh, the summer holidays, I took my smartphone with me for the first time. I didn't have one last summer, and it meant that I could use my laptop uh, to access the internet. I could uh, do a little bit of work, although I didn't. I did. Uh, I worked on stuff related to the out-of-office book rather than stuff that I, that I normally do from day to day. And that was really different from the previous holiday when I was working on the out-of-office manuscript. I didn't have access to the internet, so it was more awkward. I had to sort of make a whole lot of changes over a period of weeks, and then when I came back home and did have internet access, I had to go and sync all those changes. So it really does change the way you work when you have something like a smartphone and access to the internet. A lot of the things that we've talked about so far apply equally whether you're a consumer uh, in your personal life as well as your professional life. And uh, one of the things that still hasn't happened as well with uh, mobile technology and with tablets is that there, there are a number of the number of services that still aren't yet available, business services that still aren't yet available to business users on phones and tablets. And one of them, which is a, an annoyance for me, is online meeting software. So I use GoToWebinar to run webinars regularly, and they have a cut-down version called GoToMeeting, which is one of the most popular online meeting uh, software tools. And that works really well from PC and Mac, and uh, whether it's desktop or laptop, but doesn't work as, as well from, from tablets or phones. And so my, my prediction for 2012 is that there will be better support for online meetings from, ta- from tablets and phones, because more and more people are going to be demanding that. So the users are going to be demanding that they can they can attend meetings from GoToMeeting uh, from their from their iPad or their Android tablet and even run meetings from there. Now some of that's already in place, so you can attend a webinar of mine uh, from your iPad and you can you can interact and participate that way. But you can't yet run a webinar from there. And I think once that second half of the the jigsaw puzzle gets into place, then we will be able to be in the position where uh, out-of-office workers can collaborate effectively from anywhere. Okay. The next trend that we have for 2012 is that outsourcing is going to increase, and that means that the nature of jobs will be changing. So uh, a recent survey showed that one in three Americans is, in fact, a freelancer, and that's not because uh, of the the, uh, economic circumstances in the U.S. where people are finding it difficult to get work. It's because they want to work with greater freedom. They want to to have that kind of independence rather than be in a traditional employer-employee relationship. So it's becoming uh, the age of the free agent. So what that means is that uh, people who want to work as freelancers or who want to make use of freelancers need to learn about how to best use the various talent markets, as they're so-called. So there are quite a few of these available online. So the one that we are most familiar with is elance.com, but there are others called Odesk and Guru. So it's important that if you want to be a freelancer or you want to outsource work to freelancers, that you know how to make best use of the various talent markets that are out there.
So my next prediction is about Google Plus. So Google Plus uh, launched with a big bang at the, about the middle of the year. Its growth uh, has continued, uh, although it's slowed down a little bit. But my prediction is that by the end of this year, by the end of 2012, Google Plus will reach 200 million users, which is pretty big, and it's around about the same sort of magnitude as Twitter. It's not as big as Facebook yet, uh, but certainly around, about, but certainly growing. And 200 million is still nothing to be, uh, nothing to sneeze at. You know, there was there was a lot of optimism about Google Plus when it started, and then there were a lot of criticism as well. And a lot of people are comparing it to Facebook and saying, is it going to be the Facebook killer? And I never thought it was going to be, and you shouldn't compare it that way. Um, but it has a lot of features that make it very attractive. And one of the most important for out-of-office workers is the idea of Google Hangouts. Uh, which is basically a way of doing video conferencing. So video conferencing for up to 10 people. And I mentioned some of these online meeting tools, such as GoToMeeting earlier. I think Google Hangouts are a serious competitor to something like GoToMeeting when you're talking about small team video conferencing because it's a cinch it's a to set up. Uh, you can you, you see people on video and they just use their webcam. You can sc- uh, share Google Documents. Uh, through your through your hangout, you can share what's happening on your screen. So it, that feature alone is going to make it really useful for out of office workers. And the fact that it's growing and continues to grow means that it's probably going to be around for a while. So Google's going to keep adding new features to that as well. Our next prediction uh, relates to cloud computing, and uh, that's one of the most important infrastructures for the out-of-office work style, and that is that a large cloud-based service will fail. Now, this is pretty much inevitable, I would say, not because cloud computing is inherently dodgy, but rather because it's just becoming so prevalent, as we said at the start of this podcast, that cloud computing growth is going to be uh, one of the one of the reasons that out of office, the barriers to out of office work uh, come down, and so more and more of these services are being offered. More and more people and businesses are using them, and so one of them will fail, and that will cause mass disruption just because a large number of people are using them already. Now, when we say uh, the cloud computing service is going to fail, what exactly do we mean? Well, there are three possible types of failure. Well, there are several type, possible types of failure, but the, the ones that we'll focus on are availability of the service. So, for, for instance, there might be a problem with the network or the server on which the, the cloud computing service is hosted, uh, and so you just can't access it uh, for whatever reason. Typically, that's a temporary issue. Uh, second failure is that of data loss, so the the whole idea behind cloud computing services is that the service and the information and data that that uh, supports it are in the cloud. They're on servers somewhere in the, on the internet. And the people who operate the service are responsible for that data and they might lose it for whatever reason. Hard disks might crash, servers might go down. This kind of problem is usually temporary, but it also might be permanent. There have been instances where cloud computing services haven't been doing their backups properly and haven't been able to restore data that they've lost. So that's a potentially permanent failure. And finally, there are security issues. Uh, Hackers might break into a server and steal data or steal passwords and get access to your accounts. When that happens... Uh, that's potentially a permanent issue because you don't know how far the hackers have penetrated into the into the cloud service, what they've stolen, and once they've got it, they've got it forever, perhaps. So I guess we're getting towards the end, Chris, and I've in fact got one last prediction, and it's one that uh, you made last year, and so I'm stealing and borrowing that prediction, and it's that email is not dead. It's still not dead, despite what some people would uh, would make you think. Uh, so 
I saw a report, in fact, that there were last year, in 2011, there were 3.1 billion users of email, which doesn't surprise me. And there's no sign that that growth is slowing down, and uh, particularly in business. So in, in personal use, there may be people who are now using Facebook and SMS more than email. But I think uh, e- uh, email is still the number one business electronic communication tool. So you better get good at it. And- yeah, absolutely. I think people think that because... Gen Y, for instance, are always texting and using Facebook, that somehow these tools are going to replace email entirely, but, uh, but they, they're not and they shouldn't. They, they complement, those, those channels complement email and that's, when we say you better get good at it, it means learning how to use email and these other electronic communications channels effectively and that's what we talk about in the book. Yep, exactly right. Uh, in fact, since we mentioned the book, let's do a little plug for the book, which is uh, so it's at outofofficebook.com. Uh, and recently we've published the ebook version as well, so that's available from Amazon, from the iTunes store, from Barnes and Noble, from anywhere that good ebooks are sold. Yeah. Uh, and you can find the links to all of them. I mean, obviously you can go to the websites of like the Amazon website and search for it, but you can also find links to them at outofofficebook.com. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere, your home, an office, an internet cafe, or even a city on the other side of the world? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Learn how to be portable, stay productive, and run a profitable business. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. That's outofofficebook.com. The eGurus community is my private membership site. It's for thought leaders, infopreneurs, business professionals. Members of the community pay $50 a month. They get access to me and many of my resources. I created this because I realized that some business owners had different internet needs than the typical small business owner. Sure, we all care about online marketing and that's important, but some of us can also use the internet for e-learning. In other words, taking the material that you teach, coach, facilitate, write about and converting it into electronic form for online delivery. I mentioned that earlier in my interview with Winston. And the eGurus community shows you how to do that right. This year, we'll have member webinars about topics like e-learning strategy, membership sites, online courses, videos, e-books, books, and much more. We're also going to have three special interest groups where we get together to discuss membership sites, authorship, and internet marketing. If you're an eGurus member, come along to my first members-only webinar, which is coming up in a couple of weeks' time, where we look at your e-learning strategy. So I'll help you identify the most profitable products for you, map out a strategy to build them, and then figure out how to incorporate them into your business. If you're an eGurus member, log into the eGurus site and you can register there. But before we leave this topic of e-learning, I also want to touch on something that can make or break your whole e-learning program. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that experts make when they think about creating e-learning programs. See, clients and experts often say to me something like this, I want to replace my training programs with online courses. And of course, they also have an implied bit after that which says, uh, and sell them to a billion people on the internet. Now, if you've ever said that or thought something like that, think again, because there is a better way to create profitable and effective online learning programs. Specifically, I'd like you to change three things in that statement. So here's the statement again. I want to replace my training programs with online courses and sell them to a billion people on the internet. Think about it this way instead. I want to enhance my training programs with online learning and sell that to my current clients. Now, in case you missed it, here are the three important differences. Instead of replace, 
you say enhance. Instead of online courses, you say online training. And instead of a billion people on the internet, you change it to current clients. So let's look at that in a little bit more detail. The first thing is enhance your programs, don't replace them. Completely replacing your existing face-to-face -face programs with online programs is a big step. It's a difficult step. See, there's a lot of things you have to change. You're already an experienced presenter. You have tried and true programs. Your clients and audiences love you. You've got comfortable with those with the logistics of running events, and you're getting well paid for those programs. Now, I'm not saying you never need to throw out the old in order to usher in the new. Sometimes you do, but often you don't. You don't need to throw it out. Simply enhance your face-to-face -face programs with electronic components. Over time, you'll keep adding more bits and pieces, and maybe someday you, you may decide you don't need the face-to-face -face components at all, or not. You might be completely happy with the blended solution forever. So existing programs means that there's a smaller learning curve for you, it's a smaller sale for your clients to buy into, and you can increase your current fees because you just increase the price of your current programs rather than trying to sell separate online programs. The second thing is to think about online learning, not online courses. In the early days of e-learning, which was not so long ago, it was common for speakers and trainers to offer the, what they called online courses, in addition to their face-to-face -face programs. So an online course was a series of email messages that were sent to your attendees after their program to help reinforce the ideas that they learned in the program. Now, the messages were sent automatically because different people would be receiving them at different times. This worked really well and is still a really powerful tool. But that was in the days before Facebook and Ning and Web 2.0 and blogs and Twitter. And now people expect more. Your, your audiences and your clients expect more than just a series of email messages. You can now include video, audio, iPhone apps, password protected membership site, self-assessment surveys, sending progress reports to managers, and much, much more. That's why nowadays we call this e-learning, and that encompasses much more than just an email course. And the third thing is to sell to your clients, not to the great unwashed masses out there. It's hard work selling anything on the internet, as you'd know if you tried it. So the advice that I give to most of my clients is to market to existing clients and customers rather than to strangers on the internet. Now, I'd say that 99% of the time. The other 1% of the time, I, I give that advice to a client. It's a rare client who does understand what's really involved in internet marketing and is willing to make the investment and the time and the learning to make that work for them. But most business owners want to target strangers because they're the largest group, but it's not the right target for them. They're also by far the most difficult to reach, attract, and convert into paying customers. That's why I recommend that you start your e-learning journey by building programs for your existing clients. Now, this applies to all your products and services, but especially for online learning, which, let's face it, many people just aren't familiar with it. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, or thought leader? Join the eGurus community, Gihan's private membership site, where you can learn about blogging, social media, ebooks, online courses, webinars, membership sites, and much, much more. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info and take your e-marketing and e-learning to the next level. That's eGurus.info. I'll be heading to Sydney at the end of March to run my two-day Build Your Website in Two Days workshop. It's on Monday the 26th and Tuesday the 27th of March. So if you want to build a website for your business or even for specific products, services and niche markets, this is the ideal way to do it. Um, over the two days, you'll learn how to build a professional website. You'll have a newsletter, a blog, a shopping cart, password protection and more built into it. And you actually get to do it yourself during the two days. And more importantly, you're doing it yourself. So you have full control of it for the future. So you learn it once and you can even build more websites 
yourself later. If you'd like to register, go to buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. You can find some information and you can register there. There's an early bird special at the moment, so there's a discount of $300 if you book by the 17th of February. That's only a few weeks away, so get in there soon. It's buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. So my final thought for this episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show is, what are you worth? See, my area of expertise, the internet, is constantly changing, so I have to keep up with what's happening. As soon as I produce an audio program about Google+, Google changes rules. If I write an ebook about outsourcing through Elance, Elance changes the website. I talk about the difficulty of publishing video clips that most internet users can see, and then suddenly, YouTube becomes a household name. Now, it's hard work to keep up, but if I don't, I fall behind. Now, I wonder whether that's easier for me. See, I'm lucky because I know that my area of expertise is changing rapidly. So it's an easy decision for me to invest in learning. Not just learning about my topic area, but also learning about marketing and business development. It might not be so obvious to you. If you're not working in an area that seems as dynamic as technology, it's easy to fall into the trap of not investing enough in your professional development. Even if your topic area isn't moving very fast, just consider how technology has changed it. If you're a sales trainer in the car industry, what are you doing about the fact that eBay is now the leading used car dealership in the world? If you teach networking skills, do you understand how Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google Plus are changing the way that we interact with each other? What about Skype, IM and SMSs? If you do customer service training, how are you dealing with private blogs and forums and Twitter and other online tools where customers can vent their anger at your clients' businesses? So my question is, how much are you investing in yourself? It's a good question to ask at the start of the year because one of your goals might be to invest some time and effort and money into your professional development, whatever your business and whatever your area of expertise. I know that some people have invest a lot more than I do. Some people invest less. It doesn't matter. The thing is to figure it out for yourself. Here's the point. Invest in yourself. Don't be afraid to put money, effort and time into your own professional development, in your topic area and also in business development and marketing. As million-dollar speaker trainer John Childers says, it's never a mistake to learn how to make more money. So that's it for the February 2012 Expert Gold Radio Show. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. My thanks again to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. And I look forward to having you join us again in March. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember... Great minds don't think alike.